All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel 37, a passage I think many of us are familiar with. Um, and uh, before I get to going any further, uh, I, I was made aware a while ago that I never really formally introduced myself. <laughs> My name is Neil Taylor. I've been a friend of Mike McClung's for, for years and years, even when we were in college and different things, and uh, I pastored in this district for some time, so uh, I'm, I'm not pastoring at this moment, but he wanted me to fill in for him today, and so it's good to see. I've always been uh, an admirer of this church. There have been a lot of people. When I went to college, I think I came here a few times, and Pastor Wiggins was the pastor here, and I really enjoyed his ministry, and I'll just go ahead and tell you that Pastor Wiggins has been a great uh, instrument of the Lord in my life, and he has been a true friend to me in difficult times. And I just wanted to say, Pastor Wiggins, how much I appreciate you and thank you for all you've done for me. Okay, let's, let's look at Ezekiel 37. The title of the sermon today, and of course it's uh, one that, like I said, that we've all kind of been familiar with through the years, if you know anything about this passage. It's kind of one of those chapters uh, in Ezekiel that a lot of folks don't read through Ezekiel, but when they get to, uh, a lot of pastors like to preach out of this specific uh, chapter, and it's called the, the, the Valley of Dry Bones is the, um, is the passage, basically the passage name. So let me just read this to you, and then we will uh, discuss this a little bit. In Ezekiel 37, the Bible says this. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth through them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover, your, uh, cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. And verse 7 says this, so I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone and I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them and then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign Lord says come from the four winds O breath and breathe into these slain that they may live so I prophesied as uh, he commanded me, and, and, breathe, and, and breath excuse me, entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And verse 11 says this, it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O oh, my people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to, uh, to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle with you. I will settle you in the land of your own. And then you will know that I am the, the Lord have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. And let's just... Just take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what your word means to us. And God, may we claim it today 
and know that God it is real and it is not a fictional book but it is a fact we ask God that your Holy Spirit would move now in Jesus name Amen my sister is a nurse in Pascagoula Mississippi she is married to a doctor and when she first became a nurse she worked in an emergency room in Mobile Alabama and the specific nurse, uh, uh, the specific emergency room that she worked at, the hospital there, she would see all kinds of things because it was kind of in an impoverished area. There was there was not a lot of uh, wealthy people there, and she and so she kind of got to see the rough part of town. And and uh, so she would c- come home from work, and I she would tell me all these stories of all these things that she had seen during the day. And as you can imagine, working in an emergency emergency room, I'm sure there's maybe some nurses here you've had to experience that before. But I'm not built that way. I don't know how you are. I mean, I'm glad that there are people out there who can look at that stuff and keep a cool head. But me, I'm not that way. You show me guts and gore, and I'm going to be throwing up before long, okay? That's who I am, all right? But she would, and I would talk about this, and uh, she said, you know, you just kind of have to get used to it and all this, that, and the other. And one day she said, I need you to, I was, I was riding around. She said, I need you to bring me by something. And so I ran by, and I was going to give her something. And as, she, as I was walking in, they were bringing in some folks who had been in a car wreck. And I'm sitting here, so I just don't look, just don't look, just don't look. I was just doing this right. And all of a sudden, I just took a glimpse, and they were wheeling in this lady, and she had a broken leg, and it was stuck over here. And, and I was just, you know... Doing, doing this number. And finally, I asked her later, I said, Tanya, I said, how is it that you deal with this stuff? I mean, I mean, just the reality of all of this stuff, you know, you, you see all these things. And she said, you know, she said, Neil, when I was first started doing this, she said, when people would come in like this and there was gory situations, she said, it used to really bother me. She said, but over time, she said, over the years, over the, the moments, all the, all the time, she said, after a while, it just kind of becomes something you just got used to. Can I just tell you that that's really kind of the modern church today? You know, we're used to having services anymore that nothing happens. It's just kind of the same old thing. We just kind of show up. We just kind of do our thing. You know, we teach our class. We maybe we, we, we do the, stu- the, 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 the youth thing, and, and maybe we do the children's ministry, and we greet, and people come in, and we smile, and it's all kind of become mechanical to us. And I just want you to know something today. If there's anything that churches need more than anything in the world is that we need revival to take place in our churches. If we don't have anything else happening in our churches these days, we need God's Spirit to show up in a real way. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about what does it mean? What does it mean for revival to take place in churches? And what does it mean that God would just show up and do a supernatural thing? Now, I grew up in a, in a Wesleyan church, all right? But I had a little bit of Pentecostal influence along the way. All right, just bear with me a little bit. Now, I'm not going, I'm not go, I'm not going off there. I'm just telling you, I, if, if Jesus has done something for you, let me just, just, if Jesus has done something for you, shouldn't that be worth getting excited about? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just kind of old-fashioned. Maybe that's just kind of what I was used to. But I want you to understand something. If Jesus has done anything for us, it's worth getting excited over. See, the greatest need in the modern church is not political reform. 
It is not more programs, it's not better preaching, it's not better music, it's not nicer stuff. While those things are good in and of themselves, I am certainly not saying that we shouldn't look forward to those things and do those things. Those things cannot bring us to revival that we so desperately need. It cannot do it. And in this book right here, you'll find a story. The story is basically this. The Babylonian Empire had risen to power. And they had taken the children of Israel into captivity. Before the Babylonian Empire came along in about 612 B.C., and maybe some of you can fact check me on this. I know Michael Keaton's probably up there. He's sitting there thinking, I know he's not telling the truth up there. Am I there yet? I'm good right now. Okay, he's, he's, he's doing this. When he does that, that's when we've got a problem. But, but anyway, he's, the Assyrian Empire was before them. And then the Babylonians came along. They defeated the Assyrians. And now, and at, and at the very beginning of the, uh, the Babylonian Empire, the, the children of Israel were, okay, you know, we're, we're going to be all right. We're just glad to get rid of the Assyrians. Now we've got the Babylonians. We can handle that. But it wasn't long until they got a little restless, and they rebelled against the Babylonians. Babylonians. And in 596, somewhere in that ballpark, somewhere in that ballpark, the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and they exiled 10,000 Jews back to Babylon. And there would be a series of other revolts along the way. And finally, in 586 B.C., as a matter of fact, on August the 14th, 586 B.C., I see he's nodding again, 586 B, the Babylonians laid waste to Jerusalem. They breached the walls and it burned, it burned the whole city down. And so as this passage of Scripture is being written, the reason it's being written is because there was a dire situation. The situation was basically this, that the people were in captivity, the city was destroyed, everything looked bad, it was a hopeless situation, nothing was going right. And if I'm, te I'm telling you today, my friend, if that's not a good example or a, a, a representation of the modern day church, I don't know what is. I mean, here we are, the modern-day church, man, we've, we've had it really good in the United States for a long time. And we just kind of trucked along and everything, and now we're starting to see the things crumble and everything that we held so dear, we, we stood up for so long, and now those things are wasting away. Ezekiel 37 tells us of a dire situation about how there was a valley of dry bones and they represented the whole house of Israel. And they were dead. The, th the closest thing that I believe I've ever seen to revival in my life was when I was a teenager. If y'all don't mind, let me get a drink of water. I'm about to die up here. The closest thing, I'm sorry, that I I've ever seen as far as revival goes was in my life when I was a teenager. I, I've seen a few people in our, our, our youth group decide they want to start a new youth group. And they said, well, we're going to go to youth camp this year, and when we go to youth camp, we want you to tag along with us. And my initial response was, I don't want to go to youth camp. And I said, I said well, you, if you go to youth camp, there'll be girls there. I said, I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're 14 years old, so anyway, I went to youth camp, and, um, uh, and ama amazingly, guess what happened? I got saved, all right? 
So we come back from youth camp and they decide we're starting this youth group and we had four people in our first youth, uh, in our first youth meeting. And we sat there, we talked about it, we programmed things and we planned it out. And one of the things I can remember our youth pastor sitting down and said, he said, Neil, we just need to make sure God's in this thing. And so we prayed about it. And the second week we had six people and the next week we had about 10 people. And the following week we had about 15 people. And two years later, we were running 150 in our youth group. We had seen 125 teenagers get saved out of our high school. It's the closest thing I'd ever been to or seen to revival. But one of the things I noticed more than anything, it wasn't so much that we had all these gifts and we didn't have all this nice stuff and we didn't have all this kind of stuff. All we had was that we had a reality that God could change things. And I think that and more than anything in the church, what we need to, uh, to understand is that if, if things are going to change in our church, is that we need God to show up in a real and a mighty way. So there's a few things that I think this passage teaches us about revival. And if you've got just a moment, let me just go over those with you. Four things that uh, the Bible teaches us about revival. The first thing is this, is that revival is always initiated by the Lord. And if you look at verse 37 right here, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit. It was God's initiating process. Ezekiel didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to have revival today. No, that's not what happened. What happened was God showed up on the scene. And I think probably what we need to see more than anything right here today is that, is that God has a way of showing up in, in, at times when, it's, when, 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 when we don't seem to understand why he would even show up. Revival is always initiated by the Lord. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 4, it says this, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. In other words, God did the work. In Genesis 1, I mean, we've all heard it in the beginning, what God created the heavens. It's God showing up and doing what only God can do. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, why is it that we, why is it that God would even want to bring revival to us? Have you ever thought about that? Because here's the reality. We're on fire for a little while, and we just kind of sink back. We're on fire for a little while, and then we just kind of sink back. That's the story of the Jewish people in, in reality. I mean, they were on fire for God. They would repent. They would go to back. God would forgive them, and they would go back. And then he would bring restoration to them, and all of a sudden, they would sink back. And then finally, it, just, it, it landed in a series of captivities for them. And that's the same way with us. It's the same way with churches. We're on fire for a while, and we sink back. Why is it that God would initiate a revival in our hearts? And the first thing I can think of is because we can't revive ourselves. There's not a person here who has the ability to revive yourself. You can't get up in, in the morning and say, you know what, I want, I, want to, uh, I want to know who Jesus is more without Jesus being there for you. God is the one who initiates, initiates that process. You know, I know it might not look like it, but no matter how hard I try to play basketball, I'll never be as good as Michael Jordan. I mean, I know it's probably hard for you to realize that. And you're probably sitting there thinking, that just can't be true. But here, I could practice all my life. But I don't have the genes to do what he does. I can practice as much as he does. 
I can, do, I can do all the drills that he's done. I can have the desire that he has. But there's some things that you just can't do on your own. And that's the way it is in revival and, and as far as our relationship with God. You can't reach out to God. It has to be God reaching out to you. If you, re if you read the Bible much at all, if you'll find out. I know in the Wesleyan church, we are, uh, we're an Armenian church, but one of, the, one of the things the Armenians don't teach is that we don't believe in the uh, sovereignty of God because we do believe in the sovereignty of God. Because we can't revive ourselves. Those things that are dead do not have the ability to revive themselves. The second thing is, I, I, I guess, would be the most crucial. Why would God want to initiate the process and revival in, uh, in us? It's because He loves us. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, you can find a story, a beautiful story. And that story is even if, if you go through all of the judges and you go through all of the, uh, the Levitical law, if you read all that, you will find the loving hand of God all the way through the Bible. As a matter of fact, our, the favorite uh, verse that we all quote, for what's John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. I think that's an important thing for us to understand today is that if th the reason that God initiates revival in our life is because he loves us. We can't, we can't revive ourselves, but he loves us so much that he revives us. God's initiating process only speaks to his wonderful grace. And he loves us. And he cares about us. And for a long time, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but back in the day when I was growing up, it was most of the sermons that I heard, every one of them seemed to be hellfire and brimstone. It was all, everybody's going to hell. And I'd walk away out of church defeated. And can I just tell you today, while I believe in the judgment of God, and I believe that God, God certainly will bring judgment one day, I also believe in the grace of God. And I also believe in the love of God. And I also believe that God loves us so much that He wants to revive and rekindle our hearts. So the first thing I notice about this passage is that God is the initiator of revival. The second thing I notice about this passage or, or this uh, passage teaches us is that revival is set in motion by the awareness of believers. And you, what do you mean by that? See, in, this, in, in verse 1 and 2, let me just read those to you and I'll explain to you a little bit what I mean. Verse 1 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit, and he lay, uh, Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, and he led me back and forth uh, among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the, uh, of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I think it's a very important for us to be aware of what our condition really is. Our condition is, is that we're a bunch of dry bones and that we're, uh, we're people that, uh, apart from God who are just dry and we're, we're useless and, 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 we, and we don't have anything going for us. But I want you to understand something. The only way that revival ever really takes place other than God's initiating power is for us to recognize our condition. Because if all we ever think is how good we are and how great we are and, and how we're going to get our own self to heaven and all this kind of stuff, let me just tell you, the Bible doesn't teach, uh, teach that. The Bible Bible says that apart from Christ, that we are undone people. People who don't know Jesus. 
What should we be aware of? We should be aware of our condition. The Bible says that our condition was, uh, that the condition of these bones, they were very dry, as if they've been there for a long time. How many of you ever watched the, the, the show CSI Miami? I think they've even canceled it now. One of my favorite characters is Horatio on there. I don't know if you've watched that at all. I just love his responses. He goes, this just changed. So in CSI Miami, one of the, the, the premises of the show is that they would always solve these murders, you know. It's kind of a, 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 one of them shows that if, you, if, if you're not into that, it's probably not going to be a big deal to you. But the whole idea of the show is that they would take, these, they would take a, a murder and they would, they would try to solve it. And they would use all this DNA evidence and all this kind of stuff. And one of the, the, uh, the principles that they, they have always gone by is that if, if they find bones that have been uh, dry for too long, is that they can't get any DNA out of them. There's no way in order for you to bring life to them because it has already been dead for so long. You can't, you, can't, you can't produce anything out of them. You can't get any characteristics of who the individual was based on the bone because the bone had been that way for too long. And can I just tell you something today? The modern day church, you can't tell us apart from about anything anymore. I mean, we're social clubs, it seems like. Kevin, you all right up there, buddy? But our condition is that we're so dry that you can't tell us from anything. All you know about us, the church is, is what we used to be. Because our condition is dire. As a matter of fact, it tells us right here that it was in a valley. It's as if it was some big battlefield and there was all of these bones out there and they were just very dry and there was no life in them at all. We have to be aware of what we are. Now, I'm not a very aware person a lot of times. Some of you might be. I'm not. As a matter of fact, a few days ago, my wife came in and she said, y'all want you to know your oldest son, Austin, is just like you. I said, she said, we went up to Biltmore House. Him and his girlfriend, now his fiance, they got engaged last week. I don't even know how to feel about that. Anyway, they went up to uh, the Biltmore House and she said that, she said he was not aware of one thing. She said he went in that Biltmore House and the only thing he wanted to see was the swimming pool at the bottom. That's all he wanted to see. And I'm the same way because if, you're, if you ever talk to me while I'm in the middle of doing something, how many of you ladies can say amen about your husband? If you talk to them while they're doing something. And so I'm that kind of guy, if I'm driving and she's talking, and she said, Let me tell, tell me what I just said. That's who we are. But 
it's important for us to know who we are as a church. And one of the things that we are as a church, or as churches in general, is that we're churches that are in desperate need of revival because of the condition that we're in. The condition that we're in is that we're dire, we're dry, and we've been that way a long time. And the only way that we will ever, ever be able to be revived is if the Spirit of God shows up in our life. Revival is set in motion by the awareness of belief. We have to be aware of who we are. About two weeks ago, I was sitting at the house and uh, getting, I'd come home to, from eating, and all of a sudden, I started hurting in my left arm. I said, oh. And then I stood up, and my chest was hurting from here down through here. And I was like, man, <laughs> this can't be happening. I looked at my wife, and she said, you are like white. I said, yeah, I'm white. That's what well, I'm white. And she said, no, you're like really, really why you've lost your color. And so we went down to the hospital. I was, I was having, uh, I, I was sweating real bad. I was hurting in my arm and all this kind of stuff. And I was uh, keenly aware of what was happening to me. Fortunately, it wasn't that it had more probably to do with my blood pressure. They never really figured it out. But I want you to know something. If something like that happens to you, you become very aware of what's going on. This is the tragedy in the church is that we're not aware that we're dead and we're just sitting around as if we're alive. The third thing is this that I know about this passage is that revival is only accomplished by obedient faith. Revival is only accomplished by obedient faith. And verse, verse 2 again says this. It says, And he led me back and forth among them, talking about the bones and the said, I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. That's a pretty safe answer, isn't it? Only you know, God, whether or not these bones can live again. Because in the end, obedient faith is not having faith in what you believe. It's having faith in what God can do. See, the foundation of obedient faith is God's word. And God tells him right here, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Without the word of God, and our revival can't take place. We have to have faith in this book right here. And that's, maybe that's a problem we have in the United States today, is that we don't believe this anymore. We've justified everything. I mean, this group, they, they want this, and the church believes this, and so therefore, I guess as a church, we're just going to just, kind of, uh, uh, just kind of take our beliefs and just kind of push them out the window. Well, I'm just, saying to, I'm just telling you today, it makes no difference whether you believe it or not. If the Word says it, it's true. The foundation of obedient faith is God's Word. The second thing is about obedient faith is that it moves the hand of God to do the impossible. I love the fact that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, amazing things can, do, can, can happen in your church. I love the fact that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, amazing things can happen in your life. My dad was, an, uh, was a big boxing fan. I don't know if, you're, if any boxers are around here or, or people who like boxing, but my dad was a huge boxing fan, and he loved it. And so he got the bright idea when I was about 13 years old. He said, Neil, I want to sign you up for the boxing club. I said, man, can't we talk about this? 
And so he said, because I know I, who was going to be on the back end of getting all, all the punches to the face, you know. And he said, no, I want you to, uh, I said, I want, he said, I want you to uh, become a boxer. And I was like, Dad, man, come on, man, I, I, I want to box. And so anyway, I, said, I, I gave in, and we were, I went down to the boxing club. And I didn't realize that you actually had to train to be a boxer. So I was in there, man, they, I was run, they ran me every night. I mean, they'd run you around. I mean, it was like 10 miles a night, it seems like. And then they'd get you in there, and you had to do push-ups, and you had to do arm pull-ups. And, I mean, and then they'd do this thing, a medicine ball. Anybody know what a medicine ball is? A medicine ball is this big old ball. It's got, it weighs about 15 or 20 pounds. They put you on the ground, and they had dropped this ball on your stomach to get your, your muscles in your stomach uh, a little bit more uh, firm. So if you get hit in the stomach when you're boxing, guess what? It doesn't hurt as bad, and therefore, you, you know, you don't get knocked out well anyway here I am and I trained and I trained and finally they would put me in the ring and we had a guy that was in our boxing club his name was Lance Warren he was the golden gloves champion for the southeast and I guess they felt like hey put Neil in the ring with him hey you know so here I am he's let Neil box him you know he ain't doing nothing over there and I'm thinking to myself, can't I get like an amateur or something in here? So anyway, they put me in the ring, and he is just tormenting me. I mean, I'm just, he is hitting me in everywhere you can be hit, man. And I mean, that, and this went on for like a couple weeks. Like, and I, I got to a point, I was like, Dad, I don't want to go to boxing tonight. I just get beat up every night. So anyway, here I am. I finally go, you know, one night, the boxing coach pulls me to the side. My dad pulls me to the side, and they say, You'll never be a good boxer if you don't get in your mind that you believe that you can beat this guy. And I said, you're right. <laughs> I sure don't believe it. I've proved it. So anyway, he, um, so my dad says, you get in there. He said, Neil, now I'm tired of this. You have more potential than that. If you believe that you can beat this guy, you can beat him. I said, but daddy, he's the golden glove champion in the southeast. How am I going to beat him? He said, get in there. I said, okay. So anyway, I got in the ring, and he was, I mean, he was doing his thing. I mean, I, he done had me up against the ropes and was beating me up, and I said, all right, I'm not going out like this. I'm not just going to be do the defenseless thing anymore. I'm not going to do the rope-a-dope, Muhammad Ali, just like there and wear, somebody, wear you out. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start swinging here in a minute. And if he knocks me out, that's okay. But that's the way it's going to happen. So anyway, he gets to swinging, and I get to swinging, and he just kind of drops back. And he dropped his fist, and about the time he dropped his fist, I came over with a, a haymaker, and I connected perfectly right there. And I said, praise the Lord. I hit him, and he went straight to the ground. I'm telling you, folks, if I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I hope not. And, and, and he went straight to the ground, and he was knocked out. When I say knocked out, I'm talking about he was snoring knocked out. And I just stood there, and the entire boxing club, all these people that are you know, just kind of standing around, and the entire boxing club's like, and I'm just saying, yeah, y'all want some more, don't you? You know, some more. But here's the thing. If you believe in what they're telling you, in terms of what the coach is telling you, and I'll just say this as what God's telling you. If you believe that what God is telling you, 
There's nothing that God can't do through you if you will allow him to do it through you. My, the only thing I really needed that night was a little belief in myself. And they, they provided that for me. My coach and my dad pulled me to and said, listen, you can do this. I believe in it. All I had to do was believe it. But I want you to know something. If you want the kind of church that will ever amount to anything, it will only be because you stand up and say, God, I know that I can't do it, but you can do it. And you can believe it. I want you to understand something. Revival is only accomplished through obedient faith. It's when you say, God, I can't do anything. But only you can do it. And the last thing is this. I know I'm going a little ways here. but What this, this passage teaches us is that revival is not revival without the Spirit of God. Revival is not revival without the Spirit of God. Verse Verse number nine right here tells us, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign uh, Lord says, Come from uh, the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied and he com- as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, uh, and they said, our, our bones are dried up and the, ha- the hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O oh, my people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you uh, back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. And uh, when I open up your graves and bring you out from them. I will put, and listen to this, verse 14. I will put my spirit in you and you will live you see he had already commanded the bones and everything to come together and the skin was upon them and the tendons was up on them and all this kind of stuff but they was just it was just a program they just it just looked as if it was real the spirit of God had not been put in them and I say to you today that the only way that revival ever truly takes place is if the spirit of God shows up You see, in our efforts to see our churches become more significant these days, we've often abandoned the work of the God's Spirit. Somehow our abilities and plans and procedures and ideas have handcuffed the transformational power of the Spirit of God. You see, in the end, we should should know that God's Spirit cannot be duplicated and He can do more in two seconds than we can do in 2,000 years. But we're a people of substitutes. We like to substitute things for God's Spirit. We like to take things and just kind of, if we have a better program, or if we have more of this, if we have more of that, then all of a sudden we become a better church. And don't get me wrong, I am in no way uh, speaking against some of the things that we have to have to, to do ministry. But I can just tell you this much, I don't care what you bring in this church, if God's Spirit is not here, we've lost it somewhere. We have a lady at my, uh, at my work who likes to bake an awful lot. And one of the things that she brought in the other day was a cake that had no sugar in it. And I'm going to be honest with you folks, it just doesn't appeal to me, something that don't have sugar in it. I mean, you give me, I mean, they can say it tastes okay. You know, people, people who bake stuff that don't have sugar in it, you've lost your mind. I mean, she, so she brought it, and I mean, it tasted like a piece of cardboard. 
And we want to substitute things for the real thing. We've got, we've got veggie burgers now. Who wants to eat a, bur a, a burger that's a vegetable? I mean, I thought vegetables is what you put on a hamburger. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like you don't do that. that just, that's like against the code or something, you know? You can't substitute, and there's no substitute for revival. You can't, you can't substitute anything for the Spirit of God. Why? See, the Spirit of God does two things for us, and I'll be closing here in a second, I promise you. The Spirit of God does two things that nothing else can do for you. Number one, He brings life. He brings life to your life. You can't, you can't produce life in yourself. And the second thing is, is that He brings restoration. And I'm telling you, folks, without going into any details, God restored me and brought me to a place where I'm here today. And I thank God for that. Romans 8, 11 says, But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let me end with this. I was, gave you a little story about my dad just a few months ago, but let me tell you the story about my dad now in this. My dad, when I was a little bitty boy, when I say little bitty, I'm talking about three, four, five years old, was an alcoholic. And he worked for Budweiser. Believe that or not, here I am. And he, he, worked, for, he worked for Budweiser. And he, his job was in sales, and he would go around to all of these, uh, these beer joints, basically, on the Gulf Coast, and he would sell their product. And he would go in, he would introduce himself, and he would so basically say, here's, here's uh, my product, and you know, and what. And so he, he got to know a lot of the bar people there. He also played music, and so therefore he played music in the bars a lot. And I can remember coming home many nights. He, very, uh, he, he could be very, very violent. And I, I, I just remember that one, one night he came home. Now, this is, you've got to understand, my dad had not given to his heart to the Lord at this point, but he came home one night. And I, I'll never forget this. He came home with a big family Bible. It was about that big. I was sitting there. Now, my dad had been raised in church, but he had walked away from the Lord. And he came home, and he had a family Bible. It was about this big. And, it was big. and, I, and I have it at my house today. And my mother, I can remember her asking him. She said, she said Sonny, what was the, why do you have a Bible? He said, I'll tell you why. He said, I went in a beer joint today, tonight, or just today, and she, he said, I walked in there, and as I walked in there, he said, I noticed on the bar was this family Bible. He said, I felt like that was strange. How do you have a Bible on a bar, and they're serving alcohol? And he said, I asked the, the bartender, I said, what is that Bible doing here? And he said, that the bartender told him, said, listen, there was a guy that came in here earlier who is an alcoholic, has been an alcoholic all his life. And he brought this family Bible in here. And he said, if you will give me one drink, I will give you this Bible. And that bartender said, I'll give you one drink. And he took that Bible. And my dad walked in and said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $15 for it. And that Bible is in my possession to this day. 
that was the beginning of a process in my dad's life because it was that day that my mother told me that the Spirit of God began to work in my daddy's life. And it wasn't long after that that he was working on a river, Pascagoula River, when he gave his heart to Jesus one night. And I was just, I'm just here today to tell you, you can't personally have revival in your life unless the Spirit of God shows up for you. You can try to revive yourself all you want, but you'll never be able to revive yourself outside the Spirit of God living in you. Let's all stand together. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit is with us. If I could just get maybe the, one of the musicians to come up and just, just play softly, that's all. God, I thank you that, that for me, personally, you have done a miracle in my life. When a lot of people would have given up on me, God, you never gave up on me. And I thank you, God, because the dry bones that once existed are alive again. I wonder today, with every head bowed and eyes closed, I've, I've never felt real good giving altar calls. I've never been real good at that. But I, want, I just want to ask you, maybe, maybe you're here today and you spiritually... You need revival in your life. And it's been a long time since you felt the Spirit of God move upon you. If you would like me to pray for you today, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, just pray for me. I need, I see that, yes. I need revival in my life. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the ones that raised their hands, Lord. You know their need. You know that, God, that revival needs to take place in our hearts. And so, Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would touch those individuals that raised their hand. And, God, maybe there's somebody here who didn't have the courage to raise their hand. I pray, God, that you would revive them as well. I pray for this church, God, because... This church is no different than a lot of churches. We, we all need revival. Let's just be honest. We all need revival. And so, Jesus, I just ask today that you would sweep your spirit through this church and may it transform this church. We give you praise for that, Lord. Now, God, as we go from this place, Lord, may we be mindful that although we may have dry bones, we don't have to leave them that way. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here. Does anybody have anything, anything y'all need to say? All right, folks, thank you for being here. You are dismissed.